Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. Hey, we're actually doing the show on a Friday this time. <laughs> it is before midnight. It is, and we're going to get the show out before midnight because today we are on top of our game. We're going to try. But, you know, that's not the most important thing. Um, Brian... You know that poem by Pastor Martin Niemroller about the Holocaust? First they came for the kinksters. And I didn't say anything because I wasn't a kinkster. Wait a second. Is that how that goes? No, it's not how it goes. <laughs> but it, it's first they came for the blank. And then I didn't say anything because I wasn't a blank. Then they came for the next group, the blanks. And I didn't say anything about them because I wasn't one of them. And then by the time they came for me, there was no one left to speak up for me. So, um, you know... Yeah. A very poignant message, perhaps especially with the current political climate, something that's worth remembering. I, I, I love that poem because it is kind of true that, you know, even if you're not part of a group that's being targeted or whatever, um, you know, if if you have principles and whatever action that's being taken is violating your principles, you should speak up and say something, right? Yeah, I mean, humans have some... Uh, uh a degree of inherent liberties and they apply to all. And if they don't apply yeah. to all, they're meaningless. That's so right. You, you, you can't just take them away from certain groups whenever you feel like it. That's right. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I said first they came for the kinksters because it appears that. Well, kink uh, is a basic human liberty. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, <laughs> sure. Freedom of expression is a basic human liberty. But um, apparently FetLife, the famous fetish website, you mm -hmm. know, which is kind of like a social network for people who are into kink and BDSM, yeah. for them to meet each other and be, I don't know, date and, and stuff like that. And just have online groups that are part of, uh, that explore kink and fetishes and stuff. Um, FetLife has had to actually delete thousands of categories of fetishes that Why? people can say that they're interested in on that social network and meet others because of uh, a Operation Choke Point style thing that's making their bank put pressure on them. Okay, so I got it. you got to describe what Operation Choke Point is. Then. Okay, that's... so Operation Choke Point, I'm pretty sure we talked about it way back in season one of Sex and Science yes, Hour. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Um, and this was a policy that became sort of publicly known in 2014. It was going on for long before that, but mm -hmm. it sort of came to light in about 2014, um, partly because I think of the Bitcoin community where there was excess, you know, there was some more scrutiny on the banks because, you know, now we have an alternative to banks and Bitcoin allows you to do a lot of um, 
money and, and use of money and transactions without the aspects of asking for permission that you have to do with bank accounts. Well, at the time, I think the legacy system thought Bitcoin could be stopped. Mm-hmm. And now Maybe. they know it can't. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so that, that conversation was going on quite a bit in 2014. And, um, you know, of course, everybody's familiar with this. There's a lot of jumping through hoops and a lot of permission that you have to ask in the banking system, but especially if you're a business. And I guess a policy that came down from the Obama administration put pressure on banks and payment processors, saying that if if you're servicing basically a high-risk category of business, and high-risk is in quote air quotes, right? Mm. Um, if you're servicing a high-risk business category, you know, you should basically not do business with those people. And so what happened was, of course, that was very vaguely worded, but the banks were afraid, you know, of the, that they could be in violation of something. And yep. so they just started canceling and closing accounts left and right of any business that had anything to do with the marijuana industry, which at the time was becoming legal in some states, Washington and Colorado were the first ones. Right. And now the rest of them are kind of falling like dominoes. Um, anything in the adult industry, anything that was offering um, money back guarantees even, mm. which a lot of products offer money back guarantees, but I guess that was seen as sketchy or high risk. And there was this huge document. Oh, the firearms industry was another one. And all these were legal businesses, but if they had anything to do with these categories that were deemed, quote, high risk. They were losing bank accounts. They were losing bank accounts and they were getting denied access to financial services. They would go and shop around. I remember reading a story of this one company that was called like Green Something Productions. Mm -hmm. And it was a video. It was a video production company that made educational videos and commercials and stuff for other marijuana related companies. And projects. And they had nothing to do. They didn't sell. They didn't sell cannabis. I shouldn't. A lot of people don't like the term marijuana now (laughs) because they say it has, it's like, you know, this historical thing that it was used to demonize it. So we'll call it cannabis, which is the Latin name of the plant. So this company had nothing, never touched a piece of cannabis, except maybe in their personal time, (laughs) which is kind of a safe bet if they're making videos of it. But never, the company itself had nothing to do with selling cannabis or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They were making videos about cannabis and they got their bank account shut down. There were adult performers, there were porn stars, basically, or pe- people who had acted in adult films who got their their bank accounts closed as well, okay. just for having been in adult films. Yeah. Um, you know, so this was pretty broad reaching. And of course, it's kind of extrajudicial. It's at the discretion of the bank. And so what recourse do these companies have, except kind of to go to the media and talk about it and generate this outrage? But I don't know what what exactly that did. Now, it's been known for a long time, like one of the biggest challenges, if you are in one of those industries, especially the adult industry, porn or whatever, um, it is very difficult to find a payment processor that will work with you. Or just one that will let you accept credit cards from your customers without paying prohibitively high fees. Right. I mean, the fees are ex- exorbitant in those industries as well. Yeah. Because they know that they've got those companies by the balls because nobody will give them a bank account and let them into the traditional payment processing system where the fees are, you know, still too high, we could say, compared to something like cryptocurrency. They're maybe around 3 to 5%, but they're not like 25%. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Like yeah. some of them are. Um, in these in the so-called ones that serve high risk industries. So that was op- Operation Choke Point. Operation Choke Point was the name that was given to this policy by the, the Obama administration, the government. Yep. 
Um, And what they were doing, it was they were claiming that this is a way to choke off or find a choke point that stifles, uh, I guess, terrorism, money laundering and other bad CD business. But the the actual effect of it was a chilling effect on just business in general and a a fear of, you know, people who were running legal, 100 percent legal businesses that they just were not going to be able to get a bank account. Yeah, because of any tenuous association with any other kind of industry that was considered unworthy. Yeah, right. And so it becomes a stifling effect on speech of expression Mm -hmm. on what companies people actually start, what industries people go into. And it's a very... um, it's a very uncivil libertarian thing, right? Because it definitely creates a chilling effect. Yeah. So now this has affected FetLife, which FetLife, as we said before, is a social network for people who are interested in kink and BDSM and fetishes. Yeah. And so I guess they got some a call or an email from their bank. We'll read the article here in a minute. But basically, they got pressure from their bank and their payment processor that said some of the fetishes that are on your website that you're letting people meet and find each other. And FetLife is supported by ads of some kind. So they, you know, they have payment processors because um, not only do they have advertisers, but they people pay for like um, to get rid of the ads and they get they pay to get like expanded features on the website. Mm -hmm. They have like a premium membership. And so they basically said their payment processor basically said, you know, some of your kinks that you're listing are too are, are not kosher. And yeah. we're going to have to cut you off unless you get rid of these kinks. So that they did. They censored the kinks. And now people are um, very concerned about this, as I can, I can certainly relate to the concern. So, all right, here's the article from, uh, from Vice. Kinky social network FetLife deletes thousands of fetishes to stay online by Siren Kale. And this is January 25th, 2017. So hot off the press- presses, digital presses. FetLife, the world's leading fetish website, has deleted huge, huge swaths of content overnight in order to stay operational. Kinksters respond to the news. FetLife, the world's leading online kink community, has had its leather-booted fill of controversy. Its, its users argue that it provides a safe space for like-minded kinksters to explore their BDSM fantasies in a consensual, safe way. Critics, on the other hand, claim that the site has historically minimized the abusive behavior of its members. Now, that's interesting. Um, sure, you could critique them because they don't do enough to stop trolls and abuse on their on their platform, mm-hmm. but is that really their fault? I don't. I think any social met- network has problems with trolls. Like Twitter doesn't do anything about their trolls. No, right. You know? <laughs> so you could level the same criticism about at just about any social network. Um, yeah, I mean, and the reason this is just real quick is because any tech company has one singular metric that they have to care about if they want to continue to get seed rounds. That's or growth money, and of that's users. Growth. Yeah, you have to yeah. get growth. I mean, and I disagree with that, but that is their way of thinking. So there yeah. you go. And the incentives are set up for them to care about that. Yeah, just growth, growth, growth. And then you can go IPO. You can do all kinds of wild shit. Even if you don't bring in a single dollar, as long as you have growth, you're fine. Now, Which, I mean, FetLife's been around for like 10 years, though. That's It the, has. That's it's been thing. around for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, 2008, maybe. Yeah. It started. Seven or eight. I'm pretty sure I had an account on there at one time. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I mean, I never used it. I yeah. Like, maybe logged on twice or something like that. <laughs> Wasn't very active. But I know a lot of people who are very active in there. But the reason is we're, we're really not kinksters. Right. Like, I would consider us... Myself, definitely, and probably you, pretty vanilla with respect to kink. But, however, you know, we have been, I guess, interested in finding out or 
I don't know, oh, just checking been out the life key of community. exploration. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> We've done some Still research exploring. on it. Let's just put it that way. We've done some research. And for me, that research led to me realizing that I'm really not that kinky, but I still respect kink and I, you know, I understand. Um, and I, I really like, I really like, I guess, the fact that a lot of people in that community are, are thinking about, are actively thinking about issues of consent and of, of, I don't know, of a lot of stuff. Well, you know, I've heard some people, I mean, whether you're into it or not, I've heard people talk about, you know, that the different aspects of, you know, sub and dom and all that in like in really such so. And I mean this really self-aware ways of what exactly they're doing, what it's all about, knowing that, like, say, the sub has the actual power here, uh, you know, all this different stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different mentalities that go into this. It's not just like, holy shit, they're all freaks. We better, you know, c- cut off their accounts. or right. something. You know, it's easy uh, to otherize anybody who you don't understand right. their their preferences in whatever area yeah. of life whether I mean, it's sexual or other but yeah but i mean they're really just people just like you who happen to get turned on by kinky stuff and, yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah i mean there's sure there's abusers in that community just like there's abusers that are completely vanilla with respect to oh, kink yeah. as well so anyway uh now back to the article here now fetlife has astonished its members by deleting huge huge swaths of content seemingly overnight and without prior consultation entire online groups and fetishes have been canned nothing involving alcohol or drug use no race play or anything that might be considered uh, construed as hate speech, nothing that would be categorized as obscene, such as incest, or causing permanent or lasting bodily harm. And most significantly of all, nothing depicting consensual non-consent, such as simulated rape or abduction. Now, so that's what they censored. That's what they deleted. Okay. Now, you might hear this and say, oh, race play? What is that all about, right? Or um, consensual non-consent, like rape or abduction play and we should probably content warning here on this is a big red flag (laughs) yeah um (laughs) but you know these are like they said it's consensual non-consent it's not actual non-consent it's all pre-negotiated these are fetishes that people engage in because they know they're into them and they arrange everything in advance so that in the heat of the moment they could say oh stop no i don't want you to do that but they're the person that they're playing with knows that they don't really mean that unless they say the safe word, which is banana or something. Kumquat. Yeah, yeah kumquat, <laughs> as we saw in a movie <laughs> yeah. recently. So, I mean, this is all this is all consensual stuff. And uh, furthermore, maybe people aren't even this has nothing to do with people are actually doing these acts. They're just saying they're interested in them. Right. On FetLife. Right. They might want to join a group for other people who are interested in it. And Alcohol and drug use? Alcohol is completely legal. Right? Sure, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just it's just very weird. And I mean, it, okay, incest? You want to talk about incest? Go on any popular porn site, you Xtube, RedTube or whatever. Yeah. Not that I do this, but I just I read articles about it and some of the most popular search terms are stepbrother, stepmom, that yeah, kind of thing, it's making sister, it, you know. Uh, yeah, it's making it as "quote unquote" legal as possible, but right while still kind of showing off. So this is bordering on mainstream. This isn't even extreme anymore. So anyway, getting back to the article, um, 
Banning the latter from FetLife deals a body blow to the kink community who flock to the site. The BDSM scene is premised on consensual non-consent. It's one of their core beliefs, just like how modern-day republicanism is based on a rabid hatred of female bodily autonomy. That's the the, uh, author of the article interjecting (laughs) their own commentary. Strip either out, and there's not a whole lot left. The site has been invite-only since July 2016, well, that's interesting. I didn't know you had to have an invite or had to have a friend that was a member of FetLife to mm. invite you. But I guess that's they changed that in relatively recently, just six months ago. But uh, FetLife's new decision to self-censor has been motivated by financial necessity. Founder John Baku explained in an apologetic and occasionally rambling blog post that the site was forced to delete hundreds of groups and thousands of fetishes in order to maintain their merchant accounts. On FetLife, members pay access members pay to access premium features on the website. Alongside ad sales, the website is dependent on the revenue from these credit card payments to stay operational, revenue that is processed using a merchant account. Baku said that FetLife received a no- notification that one of their merchant accounts was being shut down. One of the card companies contacted them directly and told the bank to stop processing for us, Baku wrote. The bank asked for more information, but the only thing that we could get from the card company was that part of it had to do with, quote, blood, needles, and vampirism. <laughs> Seriously? Wow. Vampirism fetish? That was what did it? That was a problem? Like Apparently, that was what the pr- payment processor cited as the, as the only information they would give them. Who the fuck doesn't have a vampire fetish (laughs) (laughs) right i mean vampire books are so mainstream right like maybe they're not actually wouldn't want to do it in real life but um i mean that is hardly edgy none of this stuff is hardly edgy right so baku alleges other merchant accounts subsequently received calls from the same credit card company requesting the closure of fetlife's account for quote illegal or immoral reasons oh Oh, now the uh, banks and the financial system which is one of the most stodgy conservative cultures on the planet the most status quo the most mainstream is determining sexual morality (laughs) like how orwellian could you possibly get all right now now hold on for a second Uh actually i'm curious if this story uh, like if if it gets to is there some other squeeze is there some like legal action like as in is there is there a, a regulation coming down that somehow well, caused the financial system to do that's this? what they're just about to get to okay. next All so right. well then keep going yeah. okay so it says FetLife is currently unable to process credit card payments so they actually did get nixed by the credit card company even though they deleted all these fetishes from their okay. website. Recent months have seen a concerted attack on the global kink community. In the UK, the Digital Economy Bill criminalizes a range of consensual adult practices and puts small-scale feminist pornographers out of business. I don't, I've never heard of the Digital Economy Bill, but it's another issue, I guess. Mm. This is going on in the UK. They say Trump's choice for attorney general, Jeff Sessions, wants to revive the defunct obscenity prosecution task force and attack adult pornographers with Orwellian verve and McCarthy era vigor. It seems that FetLife has been caught up in a global anti-kink morality panic. Kink is usually the first target, Susan Wright of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom writes in support of FetLife in a blog post. Due to recent events, FetLife is being persecuted by people who don't understand us. They interpret our consensual kinks as non-consensual because of the words we use and the way the images look, and they've acted to keep us from talking and showing those things on FetLife. Unde- yep. Well, okay. I just want to say this quick before we go further. All right. So yeah, Jeff Sessions, nuts that, that, you know, enough said there's a, there's a laundry list of reasons why that is. Um, but 
don't, you know, I think what a lot of people would think, oh, this is a great opportunity for Bitcoin, kind of like you were talking about with Operation Choke Point, how like some porn stars and whatever, they, they went to Bitcoin because, okay, they can't regulate this and it will be a problem. Um, uh, th- there was a uh, conference held last mm-hmm. last year, ID 2020. And in that, this is a blockchain conference. Big, Bitcoin was a big part of it. And mm. they specifically said that we need to put a stop. The reason we need to make these like ID systems is we need to put a stop to sex work. Oh. So don't count on tech Blockchain's companies not to save, save your yet. ass either. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- this, you know, there you go. Yeah, this moral panic over kink and sex workers, I mean, really, why, what is going on here? I mean, younger generation is so much more accepting of these things and tolerant. And why are the banks determining what fetishes are okay to have? That's what I really want to know. Now, Brian, if the banks tried to uh, determine what fetishes were okay for you to have, what would you do? Oh. <laughs> Would you tell him to fuck right off? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is the kind of thing that you talk about every week on your podcast called Sovereign Tech. You have a show about technology and uh, and freedom and ethics. Yes. And uh, it's a wonderful show. I never miss it myself. And You're usually you co- sitting in the studio with me. I'm usually sitting in the studio. And usually you cover a lot of issues that are very similar to what we just talked about here. So where can folks find Sovereign Tech? Give them a little teaser. Sure. Just go to sovrynetech.com. And actually, it takes you right to the Patreon page where there's hundreds of hours if you become a patron, hundreds of hours of extra content. Um, but yeah, you're guaranteed two hours every week of just some of the fastest, hottest tech news, science news, and ethics that you could possibly get anywhere. Wow. You couldn't even see that bumper coming up, but you had perfect timing, Brian. You were, I, sci- you were like psychic on I that. I am in touch with the dark side of the force. Yes. <laughs> Use the force. Oh, you are so one I, with the force, and the force right. is one with you. Well, no, I no. I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> that's another story. But <laughs> yeah, boy, you know, there's so much to say on that last story. I mean, oh, yeah. Like it, you know, and I mean, this all We got some quick. other ones, but I mean, we got some other good stories, but if you wanted to make another comment. No, well, I just want to say, like, look, you know, yeah, there's laws potentially getting passed that affect this sort of thing, but the problem always comes down to look, there's people that think this way. There's people that think that what you want to do in, you know, behind closed doors or even online, whatever, you know, is not all right and it needs to be stopped, blah, blah, blah. And they'll do whatever it takes, whatever, you know, uh, choke point, you know, whatever point they have to squeeze, uh, you know, they, they will squeeze. And it's funny because, you know, I say this to people and I talk about on my show, Sovereign Tech, I talk about this all the time. It's like, look, you know, culture religion, things like this are to me are so much more terrifying than any government regulation. I mean, because the the regulation outcrops from all that, you know, and, and those, Oh, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster when you have social mores and all these things that, 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 that gets societally reinforced, just, just terrifying, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be very hypocritical too, right? Like there's this expression where people love to jerk off with one hand and point fingers with the other, yep. right? Like how many of these bank executives that are making these rules and saying, well, you get an account and you don't, FetLife, you don't get an account because you have these fetishes that I don't like on my, on your site. How many of them are, you know, wanking to uh stepbrother porn or whatever right. on, on Xtube or wherever they go? So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very hypocritical. It reminds me when there's, there's a story that comes out occasionally every few years, it it repeats because it happens often, where, you know, it's some small town and a, some, you know, some official or college professor or somebody at a college or something like that 
um, or like finds out somehow that a student at the campus is in porn Mm -hmm. and then they shame her and ostracize her. Usually it's a girl. Yeah. Um, They shame her and ostracize her and uh, make this smear campaign against her. But how did they find out? Well, because they were watching it. That's how they found out. (laughs) Right. But then they're going to ostracize her and shame her for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, we're in the science segment now, and this is a this is another piece of show prep that was sent to our uh, to our show by our friend Cognitive Dissident. And now you know what's really funny. Mm-hmm. I was do I was narrating an audiobook the other day. A- actually, I think it was um, Andreas Antonopoulos's book, The Internet of Money, which I'm working on right now. Yeah, we just had Andreas on last week, and we talked about his, we did did an announcement that I was going to do his audiobook. Um, it said something about cognitive dissonance in the book, and I almost said cognitive <laughs> dissidence. I had to do a couple of of takes because I I kept was so used to cognitive dissidence sending us emails. There's a chance it could be more than one person. <laughs> I yeah, because part of me still wonders because cognitive dissident has so much good robot show prep and and like our, you <laughs> yeah, know transhumanist theme, kind it? of themed stuff. I almost wonder if cognitive dissident might be an AI, but yeah. Um, <laughs> And and it's really funny because they don't like write much. They'll just usually put a link to an article. But if it's like if it's something cool, they'll put a smiley face yeah. right after. If it's something sad, they'll put a sad face. <laughs> <laughs> so I like cognitive dissident. Keep sending us show prep. It's very good. So this comes to us. Uh, this comes to us from cognitive dissident. And by the way, if you have show prep or you have an email you want to send us, you can always use the contact form on our website, sexandsciencehour.com. Just click on the contact link above, or you can always email us directly, show at sexandsciencehour.com as well works. So anyway, this is from fizz.org. Scientists create the first stable semi-synthetic organism. Now, wow. this is crazy. This is like beyond Jurassic Park level shit, okay. right? Like yeah. Jurassic Park Synthetic. was resurrecting old organisms, kind of patching in the gaps in their DNA. With frogs. But this yeah. is a semi-synthetic organism. So let's read about this. Life's genetic code has only ever contained four natural bases. These bases pair up to form two base pairs, the rings of the DNA ladder. And they have simply been rearranged to create bacteria and butterflies, penguins and people. Four bases make up all life as we know it. Until now. Scientists at the Scripps Research Institute have announced the development of the first stable semi-synthetic organism. Building on their 2014 study in which they synthesized a DNA pair, base pair, The researchers created a new bacterium that uses the four natural bases, called A, T, C, and G, which every living organism possesses, but that also holds as a pair two synthetic bases, called X and Y, in its genetic code. The Scripps uh, Research Institute professor Floyd Romsberg and his colleagues have now shown that their single-celled organism can hold on indefinitely to the synthetic base pair as it divides. Their research was published January 23rd, 2017 online in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. We've made this semi-synthetic organism more lifelike, said Rosenberg, senior author of the new study. While applications for this kind of organism are still far in the future, the researchers say the work could be used to create new functions for single-celled organisms that play important roles in drug discovery and much more. So um, the article kind of goes on and talks about... um, the uses for this but basically what they did was expand the genetic code no longer does it just have four base pairs a t c and g now it has x and y too 
Right. So this could literally open up tons of new possibilities for what you could make an organism do. It could make new antibiotics. It could make new proteins. It could have, um, you could have organisms that act almost as like nanobots that have a specific function that they're trained to do. And what they're doing is they want to make these single-celled organisms that have this special DNA inserted in them. Now, I've heard TED Talks where I think this was actually being referenced. Mm -hmm. Um, And the purpose of this TED Talk was effectively to say, we can create different types of humans. And the purpose of, of you know, just by, by literally adding new pairs to DNA mm-hmm. like that, that you could, you could create like the purpose that this, what this person was talking about in the Ted talk is that, you know, you want to like one of the goals for, for humanity to continue to survive is to, for, you know, humanity to become a, a multi-planetary species. Okay. Beyond multiple planets. His shtick was that what if you just made, humans with different DNA effectively. And that way, if something, you know, like a disease or something like this, like he's kind of talking about creating uh, an artificial biodiversity um, that would allow humanity to kind of move on. Now, I mean, or, you know, move on in, in case humanity, as we know it now, were probably, you know, something happened, something mm-hmm. terrible would happen. Yeah. Uh, that's stretching it. That's getting into the whole or argument of genetic out engineering. To Mars or something or other planets. Well, that's the other thing other, too. Yeah. Right. Is to, to adjust humans to be able to survive in different atmospheres and, you know, or di- different, um, yeah, yeah, ecosystems. I mean, I kind of feel like humans are always trying to outsmart genetics and say, ooh, we can do it better than nature designed it. But usually that's just so wrong because we can't predict what's going to actually happen when we create a new gene or something like that, or when we delete it or or add it or whatever. And um, it's usually not better than anything nature could create because nature's had the advantage of time Mm -hmm. and it has, it's had the advantage of, um, you know, billions of organisms to act as a test bed, you know, for every possible combination of, of whatever. And it also doesn't have that, this, Humans have like a thought process that they're trying to follow to direct evolution in a certain direction. Nature doesn't have that. It's right. just, it just, tr- everything gets tried eventually because there's so many organisms and so many different shuffling of the genetic code. And then if things are advantageous, they stick around and they expand and they live on. So then how does this fit into that? So I, I think that if there was really a useful function for more different bases in the genetic code, they would already be there. Nature would have already put them in now and they're and they're not even saying so they got this single cell celled bacteria to be able to uh, hold on to within its DNA the synthetic base pairs uh-huh. and copy them into the next generation. So they were stable. Right. You know, passed on from parent to child. But they're not these new genetic base pairs. Most DNA gets translated into RNA and then it gets transcribed into protein. Right. And the then the proteins, you know, do functions in the organism. Right. And that's what makes it it alive. But these new synthetic DNA base pairs, they don't code for anything. They don't get transcribed into RNA. They don't get made into protein. So right now, all it is is just DNA. It's like Information is written maybe like on a computer chip mm-hmm. that can be preserved and passed down into and copied, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of junk information. At this point, it's junk DNA. It doesn't yeah. code for any proteins. So in order to make an organism, to engineer an organism to really do specific stuff, you would need to have that 
engineered DNA code for proteins. Okay. And we can already do that. We can use the natural base pairs of DNA, and we can make them into proteins. But um, what they're doing is they actually invented a whole new base pair of DNA. So it's like expanding that language of DNA. Potentially, because, you know, it would have to be tr- able to be translated into protein. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, no, no question there. It's, yep. it's a feat, that's for sure. I mean, it could even be, like, if they can get these bacteria to keep the DNA, the synthetic DNA in their genome mm-hmm. and pass it on to their, their children, this could be like a way of information storage. You know, it's like a marker, right? Yeah. Kind of like the Anunnaki inserted into the <laughs> DNA of early humans. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously the applications are kind of far off, but uh, well, you know, it's possible. not that far off anymore. <laughs> right. Okay, so our next article comes from, <laughs> this is another listener email. This is from, oh yes, Mike Oxard, good, <laughs> our good old friend Mike. Um, he said, uh, following up, oh no, so he sent us this article about transgender cyclist dominates women's cycling race. And this is from Cycling Today. Kinky. And now if you, <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> no. and if you remember, um, Mike had written to us before because he was uh, he was biking a lot, so he's interested yeah. in biking. Yeah, he's well known in the Oxard uh, biking family. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a famous <laughs> clan. <laughs> so we'll we'll get into the article here about the trans trans cyclist who won in the category. This is from Cycling Today by doesn't have a byline. Okay, a transgender cyclist has won a major women's race in the U.S. in what is believed to be a first for cycling. Jillian Bearden, 36, became the first transgender athlete to win El Tour de Tucson in southern Arizona, USA. A Colorado Springs native who has been competing professionally for 10 years, Bearden, who identifies as a woman, said the win is absolutely huge for transgender people who wish to compete against athletes of the same gender identity. We're at a moment in time, especially now, where not only do we have to come out, but we have to be positive, the cyclist told the Arizona Daily Star. We have to come together in solidarity and move this country in a direction that is accepting of all. Bearden's time ranked 38th among both male and female solo cyclists. She wrote for the Southern Arizona Gender Alliance in order to promote transgender inclusion in cycling. Earlier this year, the IOC said transgender athletes in all sports should be, uh, IOC is International Olympic Committee. Mm-hmm. The the IOC said transgender athletes in all sports should be permitted by national federations to compete in the Olympics and international events without undergoing sex reassignment surgery. Those transgender athletes born as female but who identify as male should be allowed, according to IOC guidelines, to compete in men's events without any restriction. And the restriction would be testosterone, obviously. Sure. Because they would be able to take testosterone, whereas a cisgender male would not be allowed to take extra testosterone besides what their balls are pumping out. Right. So um, this is an interesting issue. A lot of people lose their minds over this. And Mike admits that it's bothering him. He said, um, he sent us a follow-up email. Um, I'm adding, he said, I'm adding my comment. uh, Oh no, sorry. He sent us two emails. First one says, attached is an article from a cycling magazine and website. It created quite a storm on the Facebook page for cyclists. Here's my comment, because I would like your feedback. 
He says, I'm all for gender identity rights. That being said, what I have to say is only opinion. I believe in order to compete in the gender in which you identify, you ought to have completed reassignment surgery and verify hormone levels. Maybe everyone races and you select the class you want to be categorized in. I believe people going through the hell of gender identity rights are trying to win local trophies. We could... We could think outside the box. I bet if races and other events broke gender into subgroups, most would identify with their living role. I don't know how else to be fair about it. Open to intelligent discussion, not just bashing. And then he said, um, maybe a better solution would be to have four categories, basically cisgender male, cisgender female, trans male and trans fe- or yeah, trans man and trans woman. Yeah. The International Olympic Committee, he said, has stated transgender people can compete in the gender in which they identify, and I don't know the right answer. It's bugging the hell out of me. <laughs> so this is very interesting because, you know, it really gets to the heart of what people believe is a man and what is a woman. Sure. And when you're talking about something like sports, it really highlights those physical differences that are, if you average groups of people, male and female, apparent. You know, there are differences in strength and athletic capacity. In some sports, you know, some sports not. Right. And the lines get really blurry in nature sometimes, right? Like, everybody likes to make it out as though it's very clear-cut who's a male and who's a female, but actually not. And especially when you're talking about athletes, there are female, so-called female athletes, who have hormone levels, testosterone and estrogen and whatever other hormones, that are more similar to the average for for cisgender men. Sure, I could think of. I mean, even like some women that have wrestled, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like China. You know, Joni Laurie, uh, the late Joni Laurie, um, yep. Beth Phoenix. I mean, some others where they. I mean, they could easily. I mean, yes, wrestling's fake, but they could take on a guy. <laughs> you know, like like they, they right. had. They just had the the body. You know? Right, and and on top of that, hormone levels, sex hormones, don't necessarily correlate with physical strength either. Sure. There are some men who have very high testosterone levels but aren't very muscular or strong and vice versa. Yep. Um, And also, that doesn't even take into account all the other genes that could be going on that are um, completely not sex-dependent, right? Mm -hmm. That Like genes for muscle mass and stuff like that. That could occur in either a man or a woman and anyone could have those genes and it could give them an, an athletic advantage. So, I mean, testing the levels of people's hormones, it gets really dicey because when you do that, you you can't even come up with a range. The range is so wide in both males and females Mm -hmm. that you can't even come up with a good range that's like, okay, this is only all and only males and this is all and only females. You you really can't separate out the categories very well. And it it, it is difficult because there's no really good test. So I actually kind of like the the categories that he proposed, you know, basically cis male, cis female, trans male, trans female. Um, Other people have suggested that when, for instance, a trans woman is taking estrogen, um, their their athletic performance or their muscle mass kind of it it kind of goes to the level of average female uh-huh. or whatever. Um, trans men taking testosterone, I don't know. Maybe it goes to the level of of cisgender men. I I, I really just don't know. Maybe get rid of the um, sex category completely. Maybe just have everybody compete. But then again, it depends on the sport. You know, some sports are are very different, right? Are we going to have football, Olympic football, and have <laughs> you know a, a lot of a lot of um, you know c- cisgender men and cisgender women playing together when their body size, on average, is going to be very different? 
I don't know. I, I just, yeah, I mean, I'm not the, sure, but it's been a constant problem. Yeah, this is, this raises a ton of questions. I mean, and I think really to, to even begin to have an answer, you really have to go, you've, you've, you know, strike the root, right? You got to do the whole Steve Jobs thing where it's like, okay, we're looking, you know, he and his wife are looking for a sofa. And, <laughs> and the first thing they ask is, all right, what kind of sofa do they want? No, they ask, why do we need a sofa? Right. Like, what's so the So you're saying, why do we need gender categories or sex categories? No, in sports? I'm going. Why do we need sports? Like I'm, I'm literally saying, like go that far you back. You went to a whole yeah, other level. Go That's all the way. Funny. Like, like really, what is the point of that gold medal? What is the point of that silver medal? Now I'm not saying some some horse shit. Like, oh, everybody's a winner. I'm not saying anything like that at all. I'm just saying, okay, what exactly is the drive here? Like, like what's, I mean, and, and I, I love the old EA line, you know, the first sport started because one person said to another person, I'm better than you and I can prove it, you know, and, and I get that. Okay. But like, let's really think about that to figure out what exactly, like, what, what is this? Cause I mean, obviously the problem here is, is that somebody is going to have some kind of what is perceived as an unfair advantage to win. Okay, well, what's behind this whole concept of winning in the first place? Like, like what right. are we even doing here? Like, I get it. You want to hone your craft. You want to show that you're one of the best, you know, and you, and you want to, and, and please, a lot of that, a lot of those attitudes, I think are phenomenal. Okay. You know, are, are, are totally natural. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying, you know, let's think about that. What's, what's behind all of that. And so this is, I mean, this is tough. This is really mm -hmm. tough. And there's certainly no one or two people or, you know, an emailer or anybody that's going to figure it all out. You know, and I know yeah. that's a cop out, but I'm just saying that really like this is, you got it. We got to think really way back and really get to the root. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, I can see like a sport is a game and you enjoy games, right? You oh, just happen to really mostly like video games. Right? Yeah, I, I enjoy sports though as well. And and video games don't have a sex category, right? Because whose fingers are faster, right? Like it's bullshit. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous. Like men and women play together, cis, trans, whatever, right? Sure, yeah. Doesn't matter who you are. Um, <laughs> so maybe the sports of the future will be more like that. Maybe we could do away with sex-based categories in sports in certain sports. But I think the the drive to play sports and to play games in general is a lot of times it's more of a challenge against yourself. Like you're you're kind of challenging yourself to make your personal best, and it becomes you get more motivated when you have that little edge of competition from another human, you know, that's mm -hmm. that maybe is close to your skill level, but you both push e each other to be even better. And so in that case, like, even if you're competing against somebody of a different sex, like, you know, um, maybe that just pushes you to work even harder. I don't know. Maybe we should just do away with sex categories altogether in sports. Well, you know, there's an interesting thing that... And, I, and I'm not necessarily, I mean, this movie is very controversial, mm -hmm. okay? But there was a movie, came out in 98, I believe, Starship Troopers. Uh, it's actually part of a really like a whole saga now. There's three of them. And anyway, the first one, pretty good movie. Uh, not And again, interpretations, I'm not even getting into that. But they play a sport in that that's kind of like football. And I forget exactly what they call it. like Sports ball. <laughs> yeah, we'll it's some kind ball. of sports ball. But it's co-ed. <laughs> right. And like, you know, the quarterback's a woman or what, what? you know, makes for a quarterback effectively. And like, she has like this move called a, like a flip six, three hole and you can score. I, I forget what she said to Rico, but anyway, in, in the movie, but you know, what about that? What, what if new sports were created that, right. like, that we didn't that have to segregate people by sex, right? That took advantage or, or played off of all the differences mm -hmm. that you get across genders and identifications. Right, because different size gives you advantages in different contexts in different ways, right? right? Sometimes a smaller person might have an advantage. Sometimes a bigger person might have an advantage, depending on the rules of the game. So, yeah. so my, for my pick, my, I think the answer is 
a new sport that plays <laughs> off of all of this. And watch how exciting that shit will get. Level Real the fast. playing field. You know what else, though? Um, he was saying in his email, like, I think if if, if a trans person is going to participate in the sex category that they um, transitioned to, mm-hmm. that that they were not born as, they should have completed sexual reassignment surgery and also have their hormone levels checked. Well, I don't like that solution because nobody's checking what's in the pants of the cisgender athletes, right? Right. And also, how are you going to know if it's a trans athlete, you know? Some transgender people are not, like, uh, you uh, You can't obviously tell they're transgender, yeah. right? And are we going to go around checking who's going to be the genitalia police, right? Also, some the trans... The Olympic Committee. <laughs> right! Like, it turns them into the sexual, like, that's so weird. Like, do they have to get a doctor's exam or something? Then you're deputizing these doctors as the genitalia police? No, we don't want to be going there, right? Sure. And, and also, like... I don't know. You might, if you looked at all the athletes' genitalia, you might be surprised at what you find in the pants of some of the cisgender athletes, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you might be ambiguous or something. You never know. Also, um, not all transgender people want to do sexual reassignment surgery. Um, and it's a very expensive procedure. It's sure. also, um, you know, it can have health risks. It can, um, there's multiple different types of each one, but, you know, sometimes they just don't want to have their, they don't want to have surgery for a variety of different reasons, yeah. or they can't. And who are we to say that they should have to have surgery, right? Like, that's that's a bar that they would have to clear that a cisgender athlete would not. So, I mean, I get it. Like, I, people might be afraid of, oh, well, you know, a man could always compete in the women's category and then win and dominate because he's stronger than her. But... That's kind of the same argument or that it comes from the same place as like, well, they shouldn't be able to go in the bathrooms of women or because they'll just rape everybody. I mean, no, nobody pretends to be transgender to get access to to spaces, you know, that that they I don't know. Or I think if somebody did that in the in a sport, they would get a lot of negative attention. And I, I just don't think it's like a reason that someone would pretend to be trans you know what i mean i mean i could imagine people like that drive to win mm-hmm. or well quote unquote win i think it's something else driving there but uh could be pretty powerful to where people who do all kinds of crazy shit you know yeah i i don't know to, to me it seems way easier rather than checking everybody's genitalia or checking everybody's hormone levels which get as we said get is really a messy situation because there's so much overlap in hormone levels and what's the range for a man or versus mm-hmm. a woman. Even for a woman within her menstrual cycle, <laughs> yeah. which not even every athlete has because some of them have amenorrhea because they have low body fat, um, the, the hormone levels can vary so much within the same woman, within the same day, within the same month, that there's not a very good range that you can say this is an acceptable range for women. So... You know, it it just gets way too complicated. I think way simpler would be to do away with the sex categories or to invent new sports that, new that sport doesn't matter what world. sex you are, right? <laughs> <laughs> so rather than further subdivide, further and further subdivide and test people, why don't we just... Uh, why don't we just let everybody onto the same field, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. If you think we're wrong, let us know. Show at sexandsciencehour.com or use our contact form. So we're coming up. How to cast spells with your orgasm. Oh. Sex Magic 101. <laughs> 
All right, Brian. Well, we want to encourage our listeners in this little segment here to leave us a a review on iTunes. If you like our show, that's a great way to help people find the show and to uh, reach out to new listeners. We actually just got a review this week that was really kind and we wanted to share it on the show, right? We got a couple of them uh, real quick. Yeah. So this one, this is one that maybe we hadn't seen, but from just, just last year a little bit, which we're just barely into 2017. And it's uh, the Golden Stallion, Brian Sovereign, and the Duchess of Debauchery, Stephanie Murphy, are back in the long-awaited return of Sex and Science Hour. Oh, yeah, we're back, baby. They slay sacred cows left and right, and their barter is always... Banter. Their barter. Sorry. Their <laughs> Our banter. barter's on point too. <laughs> yeah, Don't their worry. Barter's great. <laughs> their banter is always top notch. If you're looking for a time uh, for for a tame look at the latest sex and science news, look elsewhere. But if you're ready to have your beliefs challenged in a fun and irreverent way and learn a bit in the process, then this is the show for you. Highly recommended. Oh, that's very nice. Does it say who left it? Uh, Max Remo. Oh, thanks, Max. Yeah. Uh, and the next one is from uh, Carrie Lee D. You might know who Carrie Lee D is. Hi, uh, Carrie. She is a, just a wonderful human being. Uh, so anyway, uh, longtime fan, first time caller, dropping in to rate you the full five stars the show deserves. Great content, interesting topics, intelligent discussion. Oh, thank so, you so can you much, beat Carrie. That? Yes. I think she's Carrie from the Workationing podcast, which might we be. might be coming up on pretty mm-hmm. soon. So <laughs> thank you so much for everybody who's left a review. And um, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, it's very easy. Just go to Sex and Science Hours page. Our iTunes link is right there on our website, sexandsciencehour.com. And while you're at it, give us a follow on Twitter. Our Twitter is Sex Science Hour. Um, and Brian just made some new cover art, but you'll have to go there to find out. And while you're there, click that little follow button with the bird. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. I promised you some sex magic in this segment, and I am not going to disappoint. I'm going to get right into it. (laughs) Brian, aren't you excited? You have no idea. (laughs) So, oh, I already had the, uh, the article pulled up here. So this is also from Vice, another Vice article by Sophie St. Thomas, filed under witchcraft. I like this already. I'd like to live deliciously. What is that from? I don't get it. We'll have to watch The Witch at some point. It's a movie. You are like too nerdy for me. I don't, or I'm not nerdy (laughs) enough for you. I don't know which it is, but I don't get the references you refer to. Okay. So, so the history of witchcraft, I mean, well, actually you, you dabbled when I've dabbled, you were younger. Yes, in, like in every thirteen-year-old girl in the nineteen nineties who saw the movie The Craft. You were. I dabbled in oh, Wicca. That movie. Talk <laughs> about a movie. Like that movie is still so goddamn good. I said this on social media recently. If somebody told me that that they think that's the greatest movie of all time, I would have a hard time arguing against that. That movie wow, is wow. No, it's great. Glowing it, review. It's so sexy. It's been it's a while. So, it's been about twenty years. So what? We should we thing. should it give it another watch. Up. It holds up. It's so good. All right. Well, let's watch it. Let's watch it like tomorrow night. All right. Okay. So yeah. All right. After I have Sovereign a copy, Tech tomorrow, me, I have we'll, a copy. We'll watch the craft. <laughs> so all right, but I mean, you've dabbled in the the whole you know Wiccan pagan lesbian. Yeah, <laughs> I I would say it was like the minarchism of religion for me, and I'll tell you what I mean by that because I was raised in a one of the big three religions, mm-hmm. Jainism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as was I. <laughs> a couple of Jains here. <laughs> I was ra- I was raised. 
Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I had, you know, a traditional Jewish upbringing and pretty... Skipping a jump from witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. It's really not. And, and, but, but right away, you know, as soon as I became, you know, 12 or 13, I I started, my little contrarian mind started questioning things and Uh saying, eh, you know, I'm not sure if this is really cool or this is really what i believe or this is really right and i'm interested in hearing about some alternatives in the religious realm sure i didn't know that you could just have no religion and be an atheist <laughs> it, it like it didn't Which is what we both occur to me as an option right yeah. yeah i would i would consider myself an atheist now but um i didn't know you could be an atheist then and so i started saying well what's the most weird ass contrarian religion i could possibly think of one that i've never heard of one that i don't know anybody who practices and one that is just so out there that it's like the opposite of Judaism. And I came up with Wicca. <laughs> and it was the 1990s, and the craft was a popular movie, yeah. and there were books about it. I would go, I remember going to the bookstore, and I got a, cu- a bunch of books about casting a circle and casting spells and um, using colors and using scents and or herbs and stuff like that in order to create a mood and an atmosphere. And it wasn't very, it wasn't very. It was mystical, but it wasn't religious in the same context that I knew of. It was like, yeah, they sort of mentioned deities and spirits and holidays and festivals and stuff like that. But a lot of it was just about sort of... I don't know, get getting into a frame of mind and almost like law of attractioning stuff to yourself. Yep. And they had the, the thing that I liked the most about it was the credo of Wicca, which was actually quite libertarian. It was very live and let live. And it was, you know, and it harm none, do as thou wilt. Yeah. It's basically like do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else and li- live and let live. Yeah, not all Wiccans go by that. Uh, but <laughs> well, not all people go by that. No, no but, I, I know. Well, most don't. But <laughs> but but a lot of I think that that attitude is actually pretty prevalent in the pagan tradition. You know, like a lot of people hear that and they're like, "Yeah, you know, that makes sense to me." Like, I don't know. I'm talking about like hippies, kind of. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. Okay. Live and let live. That no, makes I- a lot of sense to me, and it made sense to me that when I heard that, I was like, you know, if you're gonna have a religion. This sounds like a pretty good one. <laughs> well, it's got a great story because the idea is, is that, oh, all, all the other religions tried to, you know, wipe us out, tried to smother us out. And so you have, you have, you know, the, the air of conspiracy mm. when, when you get into, you know, into Wicca. Yeah, and there was something really interesting, too, about the esoteric aspects of like, mm-hmm. this is supposed to be the oldest religion in the world. Right. Actually, it's older than Judaism. It's That's older than claim. Zoroastrianism. Yeah. It's older than all the monotheistic religions. Yeah. This is the oldest religion. That period. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, there was something in me too that felt like, wow, this feels so new and different. And I barely hear anything about it in culture. So that appealed to me as a contrarian. Yep. But also, it's the old religion, it's the oldest religion in the world. Yeah. And that seemed really cool to me. And I felt like I found out about a secret that not many other people knew about, but that was really important and old and ancient. Exactly. Yeah, that's that <laughs> era that's really attractive to it. That's kind of its story that it has. Yeah, I mean, my point about it, not all of them following it, is that most people, or it seems like a lot of people don't know this, but in the military, there are Wiccans everywhere. Like, I mean, you are that's surrounded by them and they are always talking about their fucking power levels and, and, and please, and I don't mean any disrespect actually to, to most Wiccans. Uh, I've but, never heard that. Yeah. 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 I mean, they are like, like I had a guy walk up to me once, you know, on base and say, you see that guy over there, man. I mean, it's like, he was like, he was talking about Dragon Ball Z and he's like, he says, he is so powerful. 
you know, and I'm like, what do you, wow. what do you mean? You know? Was it a guy that was in the military with you? Yeah. Oh, no, no this was on base. Yeah. So he's talking about another dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And he's like, he is so powerful. He's like, you know, and I'm like, okay. You know? Wow. And, and it was, oh, it's very strange. <laughs> So <laughs> that's interesting. Well, I mean, I guess you could like you could secularize that and you could say like sometimes you see a person and you're like, wow, that guy means business or something. You yeah. Know, well, like, there's certainly like there are like, you know, biological signals or, or you know, mm-hmm. like a, a, a yeah. nonverbal communication yes. that says don't fuck with me. Yes. Right? That is a very real thing and should be like the first part of any self-defense course uh, is learning that kind of that, that, that kind of stuff because mm. it's very real. Mm. Um but yeah, you know, if you want to lay it out as some kind of power level, well, you know, do what you do. Uh, you know, That's I, interesting. Yeah, I was going to say with like witchcraft, like mm-hmm. I, I really feel the reason I'm interested in witchcraft overall at any point is because it's you, when you find out, you find out there's, you know, the way it gets reported, usually witchcraft gets talked about by the people that burned all the witches. And you get the sense very quickly that these were, these may not have actually been witches, they're just people that weren't following the societal mores. Oh, you mean like women? Yeah, right. You mean like lesbians? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mean like midwives? Exactly. Yeah. Most witches were women, and there, there actually was quite the historical genocide of women who yeah. were accused of witchcraft. Um, you know, over hundreds of years, but millions of women were killed in brutal ways, drowned, burned at the stake. I mean, and it barely gets talked about, but it's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, effectively, before there were atheists, there were witches and warlocks like that. They were they were kind of the I mean, before there were they were maybe maybe a counter the original force to the Christian church. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's interesting, because I think you can find out so much about, you know, like so many oppressive histories. It's uh, fascinating. I mean, I, I really respect neo-pagans you know, witches, whatever, modern witches, right? I I respect it. Um, You know, I'm just, I'm not a super, I guess, mystical person, but I really respect it. I love the emphasis on communing with nature, on community, you know, on getting together with people. And by the way, if you're looking for a religion that's not antithetical to sex, neo-pagan Wiccan stuff is the stuff for you. I mean, they're not (laughs) opposed to sex at all. They celebrate it. They exalt it. Do you have any proof of this? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean on your screen. (laughs) Oh, yes, I do. That's the article that we're about to get into. I I didn't mean to to reveal any stories. I can think of some real life proof as well. All right. Um, so anyway, okay, let's get into the article. That's a good segue. So this is from Vice, Sex Magic, How to Cast Spells with Your Orgasms. Oh, I love the sound of this. The internet makes it all possible. (laughs) Since time immemorial, witches have been harnessing their sexual energy to do magic. We spoke to some modern-day practitioners about their craft. When people ask Kristen Corvette how she landed her first book deal, she normally responds with a predictable platitude. She achieved her dream through a combination of hard work and luck. In private, however, she attributes her success to masturbating under the full moon. Oh. <laughs> Corvette, the editrix of Sluttist and a professor at the New York School at the New School's class, The Legacy of the Witch, is a practitioner of sex magic. Hey, we went we know someone who went to college at the New School. <laughs> we do? <laughs> yes, we do. Oh. Uh, for music. That's oh, all, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, yes, we do. Yeah, maybe okay. she knows this person. Well. <laughs> So Corvette, the editrix of Sluttist and oh, professor of the new school's class, The Legacy of the Witch, is a practitioner of sex magic using sexual energy, often orgasm, for manifestation. 
It happened to be a full moon on the evening I submitted my proposal, so I engaged in my usual practice, which consists of, quote, listening to my favorite erotically charged music, which is always, you're going to love this, which is always glam metal, Motley Crue mostly. Yes! Yes! <laughs> That's Light, the whole point! Lighting, Thank you! Lighting a candle that has been carved to symbolize my goal and unsheathing my crystal dildo to consummate the spell. Oh! Yeah, keep going. So hot. Keep I know. Going. Oh, my God. It's so hot. Look, I, I am an atheist. I am a seven on the Dawkins scale. And fuck <laughs> Richard Dawkins. But I am a seven. This is so hot. Yeah, <laughs> this is so hot. I agree. I will. Listen to me. If somebody wants to do this shit, look, I will play along. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I have no problem. There's nothing to put you in the right frame of mind, like masturbating into the full moon with Motley, Motley Crue and playing. a crystal dildo and a candle that's specially carved to Woo. symbolize your goal. <laughs> oh, I'm going to try have to try this. <laughs> And exactly one month later, she says, on the full moon, I received word that I was in, she says. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Given the preponderance of love spells and evil yet seductive witches in pop culture, it's understandable that sex magic is often misunderstood. But according to those who practice the erotic craft, it's just another form of magical manifestation. Oh, of course. Please. <laughs> You have it's an harmless. you have an intention, and you're using orgasms or sex as a tool to achieve that particular intention," explains Cat Cabral, a Wiccan priestess who managed the East Village occult shop enchantments for more than a decade. Brie Luna, order owner of the Hood Witch, <laughs> agrees with this characterization. We're not talking about how to be sexy or have an enhanced libido. We're talking about manifesting, talking about harnessing sexual energy to make very real results, she says. Sexual energy is just energy. It's neutral. Neutral maybe, but extremely powerful nonetheless. With sex magic, all you need to reach orgasm, all you need is to reach orgasm, and you can change your world, writes Damon Brand in Adventures in Sex Magic. The history of sex magic as a whole is as expansive as it is elusive, and it's often difficult to obtain records about it. According to Sex and the Supernatural by Benjamin Walker, sex magic and erotic mysticism were practiced earliest in Central Asia. The citizens of one area in particular, known as Urgion, a semi-mythical kingdom that fought for the rights of the Tibetan people, how did that go for them? <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. Uh, and are said to have used rites involving Tantra, the buildup and avoidance to increase power of sexual energy and orgasm. It was a place of some notoriety, according to the Hundi Chronicles, where intercourse was regarded as not only procreative, but for the acquisition of magical power, writes Walker. Sex magic through Tantra dates back to the middle of the first millennium. Though the diversity of tantric practices has made it difficult to pinpoint the precise origin, the first record of Tantra is likely the Salva Mantra Marga tradition during the 5th century. Today, Tantra has often taken on associations with New Age sex workshops and sting, <laughs> but it's also about <laughs> harnessing power and even achieving enlightenment, according to the essence of Va. Vajrayana, the highest yoga tantric practice of Haruka Bodhi Mandala. Mandala. The Christians were right. <laughs> yoga is 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 debasing. It is it is destroying. Yoga is basically the, satanic. Yeah, it yeah. is satanic. There's it something to that. It is there? destroying the moral fiber. <laughs> Of society, of Western civilization. This is terrible. I mean, your average yoga class, you're probably not going to get that get that far, but wait till you get to the 33rd well, degree. See, this the is yoga. the thing. This is why Sting yeah. does it for six hours. That's right. Because in, if, you, if your yoga class is six hours, by the end of it, it'd be an orgy. That'd be, that'd be how it goes. All right. <laughs> the Gnostics, a collection of ancient religions and sects, 
sects, not sex, <laughs> found in a range of regions from the Middle East to China, also perform sex magic rituals, such as blood rituals and mantras to invoke sexual energy. Oh, they, they, they drink menstrual blood. Like, they... <laughs> mm. I mean, that, it gets pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, you got to do something with it, right? Hey, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> The most notorious sex magic practitioner in recent history is Aleister Crowley. Mr. Crowley. <laughs> a famous 19th century British occultist who viewed sex as the supreme magical power. A high-ranking I agree, Mr. Crowley. <laughs> a high-ranking member of the secret society Ordo Templi Orientis, which uses sex rituals heavily in its initiation ceremonies, he went on to write several books on the use of erotic magic. His views were extreme, as was his desire to experiment with new forms of sex magic. In Sex and the Supernatural, Walker writes, In seeking to enlarge his tantric-oriented experiences, Crowley advised for females of all advertised for females of all kinds, deformed women, dwarfs, hunchbacks, and as he put it in his characteristic and as he put it in his characteristically unfeeling way, freaks of all sorts. <laughs> wow. Contemporary witches. Now, now, you know, just just one more, one more little going to bat for Mr. Crowley here. Uh, supposedly, he was literally hired by the British government to fight Nazis, and like with sex magic, with something prophecy, with whatever sex means magic, he had whatever at his disposal. He had. Hmm. And you know, that's I mean, fascinating. That's, well, yeah. the Nazis lost. Churchill said. <laughs> Mr. Crowley, you do what you got to do. Wow. I don't care how many orgies you have to have to stop the Nazis. And maybe, maybe we need to do this once again in our modern political climate. <laughs> yeah, we need a new one, <laughs> Alistair Crowley. Uh, but it could be a woman this time, I think. I yes. feel like that would be totally fair. I agree. Mrs. Crowley. Miss Crowley. So contemporary witches dismiss much of his work. It veered on the more racist and sexist and was just really weird, says Luna. I feel that a lot of his work, for what it was, was very self-serving and low vibrational. Very demonic, in a sense, when you're working with things that you have no idea what the hell you're doing. You could just fuck yourself up. See, that's why the Nazis didn't completely go away. Damn. Yeah, so basically this is a witch who, who says, look, he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. He just wanted to have sex and seem like an expert. Can't study Kabbalah really till you're 40. didn't know what he was doing. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I think that could be a fair criticism. Sure. But yet, he gets all the credit for it in, in, in culture. Like, when people think of sex magic, they think, oh yeah, Al Aleister Crowley, as though he was the one who invented it or something. Well, it's because he has the sensational lines that yeah. Christians can point at. That's, that's the deal. You're right. I guess that's true, but yeah, I mean... I mean, Madame Blavatsky gets her share, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But she didn't have... Did she have, like, a group? Like, he had... Oh, the, Yeah. Ordo Templi Orientis. Or- yeah, I don't know. I don't like, well, she had the Theosophical Society, right? Or uh, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Like, she's not as famous in my mind as he is. Yeah, no, she's up there. But I, I hear you. It's it's still true. Like, sh- like he said the crazy shit. And mm. so it's easy for detractors to go after him, to go right. after him right. for what he said. So. All right. Well, back to the article here. Modern sex magic users have a myriad of historical cultural practices to draw inspiration from, and many of them emphasizes the many of them emphasize the importance of finding what works best for you. In ways still finding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got to experiment yeah. a lot. In ways, sex magic is similar to any other form of energy work which harnesses energy with the practitioner often tapping into their own spiritual energy to heal. The only difference is that the energy being harnessed in this case is the release of an orgasm. 
The first step is to have a clear goal and intention of what you want, says Luna. I find for me that sex magic works best when your intention has to do with sex, love, confidence, power, and strength. Not, I need a new car, I'm going to masturbate. That's just so silly, says Cabral. (laughs) That's why I get what I want in the life. (laughs) That's all I'm thinking about wanting when I'm... I mean... If you could just jerk off and you get a new car, that'd be amazing. But obviously, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, but what's a car compared to having, you know, the greatest love in your life? I oh, mean, that's, you, that's you know true. That's true. It's way better. You're right. And I'm not going to admit to anything, but, <laughs> <laughs> but let's let us continue. Other techniques involve repeating mantras during orgasm, focusing on sigils, a magical symbol to help focus your energy, and invoking certain deities. Hathor, Isis, and Aphrodite are common goddesses to invoke, but you can use whatever deity appeals to you most since sex magic is so personalized and intuitional. I think everybody needs to find deities or mythology or archetypes that relate to them. So for some people, that's staying with their own heritage or culture, says Cabral. And personally, I love working with Venus or Aphrodite. Intuition, she adds, is the oh, most, Im- I, sorry, most I, important thing. I would go right for Hathor. Like, oh, man. And anybody else that's watched Stargate SG-1, you know, too. You'd go right for Hathor. All right. <laughs> Indeed, most witches will say that sex magic is one of the most intuitive practices. I came to sex magic pretty intuitively, recalls Corvette. As a young girl, my mother taught me the power of manifestation, but in a G-rated way, of course. Somehow I made the connection between all that and all the self-pleasure I was engaging in, and I realized it could be used in a more powerful and productive way. Another, perhaps less intuitive, component of sex magic involves the use of bodily fluids. An example of this is Abbe Guiberg, a French Roman Catholic occultist known as a renegade priest, who in 1683 performed a black mass, a corruption of the traditional Catholic ceremony. (laughs) Such ceremonies involve the nun figure urinating into a chalice, often as a demonstration of opposition to strict Catholic beliefs. Period blood is another useful liquid in sex magic, and according to Luna, there is a long folkloric history of women putting period blood into coffee or tea or red pasta sauce, because it's easy to hide, often for binding spells to cause sexual attraction and in the hoodoo tradition. The hoodoo? Who do you do? I don't know what that is, but um, (laughs) next time someone invites you over for meatball and dinner, spaghetti and meatball dinner, watch out. Is there a key bowl? (laughs) (laughs) Some practitioners also do spells with a concoction of semen mixed with period blood, which is considered very powerful. The mixture typically is obtained and placed in a chalice or swapped through kissing after oral sex in a ritual believed to seal the magic performed or create whatever manifestation the practitioner desires. Again, sex magic goals don't have to be about sex, according to Brand. Blood is life, especially menstrual blood. It nourishes life. You grow humans, said Luna, adding that you can use bodily fluids to dress candles and talismans, meaning coating a candle, often carved with a sigil, with a substance whose properties are believed to help one achieve their goal. And if you're going to work with bodily fluids, please be aware of the health risks. Feeding and eating bodily fluids carries the same danger as oral sex, so get tested, discuss it with your partners beforehand, and become educated on dangers. You're playing with someone's will and health. You can transmit diseases and all kinds of icky things, cautions Luna. In general, when practicing with a partner, communication is very important. Luna says that you should either work together completely or keep your partner entirely in the dark about the fact that you're manifesting magic during intercourse. Oh, no, tell me. Either they know what it is that you're doing or they shouldn't know at all. Because any person who kind of knows and isn't really into it, they can fuck up the whole flow of energy. So either you have a useful idiot or you have a partner in crime. (laughs) (laughs) 
like I said, I'll play along. Okay. I, believe me. And I will, I will believe it. I am so good. I'm a very creative person. I am so good at manifesting, uh, you know, realities in my head. I, I am going to do it. <laughs> so either keep them ignorant altogether or they know, and they're going to focus on that energy as well. So it makes it that much more powerful if you're going to come together. <laughs> Even those uninterested or skeptical of practices such as magic can attest to the intimacy and intensity of coming at the same time. Oh, yeah. With a partner, it becomes really cool and exciting when you trust someone and both of you can work together, you know, staring at each other's eyes, maybe slowing down an orgasm, breathing together, says Cabral. For many practitioners, though, the fact that sex magic can be practiced alone is one of its main draws. Although I've experimented with partnered sex magic, I find the solo spells have worked better for me thus far, says Corvette. In a world that's traditionally punished women for freely enjoying both sex and magic, combining the two can f- combining the two can feel revolutionary, and taking matters into one's own hands only heightens that sense. Mm. Witchcraft in and of itself is very empowering for women. You know that all of your power is just innately within yourself, says Luna. One of the most powerful aspects any woman can have is owning her sexuality and not being afraid of that power and not being afraid to use that power. Yeah, use it, please. <laughs> that was awesome. I loved that oh. article. I think I'm going to try think? it. I think I'm going to try it. All right. Tell ya. <laughs> think now, of whoever you I, want. Like I said, I'm not a mystical person, but I don't actually, you know, I don't even know what I want to try to manifest. I just want <laughs> I just kind of want to rub one out. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I love this. Yeah, it's I, awesome. I, I think it is so cool, you know, and and again, total atheist, but I don't, you know, all right. So so here here's the thing. Is that really I like I kind of agree with the sentiment that if there's anything that's like remotely magical in the world, it is sex. It's sex, right? It, it, like like there is nothing <laughs> in fact like I kind of lose my mind at some people that are like really like, like, like crazily anti-sex. Like, and they even tried to prove it was like, they tried to go with the scientific view or something or like a philosophical view. And I'm just like, Oh, why, what happened? Like, you know, I, I, Oh man. Yeah. It, it's there. There's just something. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, that's the thing is that like, it's hard to even get the words yeah. to, to describe just how powerful that is. And I mean, I'm not saying that I believe any of this, mm-hmm. but I, I sure as hell think it's a far healthier well, attitude than like, scientific an, conservatism. You know, whenever anybody talks about manifesting anything, like that's a very new agey way to put it. Right. Yep. But sometimes there's so much truth in things that maybe they're described with flowery or poetic language that sounds woo woo to us. But there's actually a lot of truth in that. And if if we were to say instead that our sub, if we focus on something in a ritualistic context, like we're mm-hmm. we're orgasming and focusing on a, a particular intention, like I want to make ten thousand dollars this month or yeah. something like that, and we're thinking about that while we orgasm and we get into this flow state, you know, perhaps that plants some kind of seed in our subconscious mind that really gets us to to do it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and take action to meet that goal in the in the subsequent weeks or months or whatever. Yeah, this isn't like any kind of Rhonda Byrne thing, you know. N- none of this the secret shit, you know, or law of attraction or anything like that. Right. But yeah. there's something for intentionality. Like 
if you want a partner, you know, if you want a, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you want to, uh, I don't know, however you want it to work out, you want a relationship with somebody and you want to live with them or something like, and, and you start doing things like I sleep on one side of the bed. Yep. I park my car to the left mm-hmm. instead of, you know, taking up the whole driveway, all these different little things that you do. Yeah. I think it has an effect to where it kind of, it sends out a conscious or unconscious signal. No, to yourself, yeah. to yourself and to people around you that, mm-hmm. Oh, this person has space for me in their life. Exactly. I mean, like, it's not, you're not doing any law of attraction. There's no, you know, quarks going off or anything like that. It's just these, these little signals that humans so imperceptibly pick up that you start adding into your, to your routine, into your life. And, and I think, yeah, people, you know, people gravitate to that, not, not out of any, or can gravitate to it. Not that they automatically do. Uh, so yeah, it, there's something to intentionality. You know, that that's for sure. And this might be kind of a part of that to where you're, you know, I mean, even like with somebody you're thinking things through, you know, while, while you're rubbing it out. Right. And then maybe when you're actually around that person, you start, you know, maybe, maybe little unconscious parts of you start acting out some of that whatever you were thinking about. Yeah. You feel more confident, maybe right. less desperate or something like right. that. Or you're making might little... find that attractive. Yeah. Or there's some body language that's going on or something like that, that just comes because it's so natural to, mm-hmm. you know, to you from, you know, your, your escapades the night before or whenever before. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think there's really something to it. I love it. In that sense, <laughs> purely scientific. Yes, I think so too. All right. Well, we got more emails and stuff, but I think we have to end there. I mean, oh, we'll do it next week. Note. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> we got to we gotta end the show out on that. We got to rub so. one out. <laughs> yeah. After exactly. the after show. After the after show, which is coming right up. So don't you go anywhere. The after show is on the way. If you're leaving us now, that's okay, too. We'll see you next week. It's Sex and Science Hour. Check every Friday at sexandsciencehour.com for new episodes. And tell a friend. Tell two friends if you like today's show. And Ooh. stick around. There's more coming up, too. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. We were just about to start. You know, that just gave me a hell of an idea, but I'm not going to share it. What? Oh, tell... No, you have to share it now. Uh, well, now I'm thinking, like, if you had, like, AR glasses of some kind, like, almost a Google Glass, okay. and they could, like, help you with technique, that could be... Not you. I, I mean you in the abstract, in the indefinite article, like, you... Like, it could tell you in real time if you're being obnoxiously loud when you're talking no, on the phone like, on a like bus or kinda, something? kind of help you out, like, you know, on... Oh, I'm being terrible. I, <laughs> I uh, what are you? Th- I don't get it. Are you thinking about sex? Yeah, I'm it being gives so you sex bad. pointers in yeah, real time. You know, Mike. All right, all you yeah. app developers out there, there's an idea for you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just so bad. make sure you invite Brian to be part of your company.
You're so bad that you have a guilty mind. We were right before, right before we started <laughs> recording this. I go, Brian, are you ready? And he goes, Men's Rhea. And I'm like, guilty mind? Because that's what I thought it meant. And he's like, oh, is that what that means? We looked it up. And yes, that's what it means. Men's Rhea, guilty for Latin for guilty mind. My Latin's not as good as my Janish. So, yeah. The intention or knowledge of wrongdoing that constitutes part of a crime as opposed to the action or conduct of the accused. So this is like the idea behind, I guess, like hate crime. Right. Or like if or like premeditated murder versus murder in the heat of the moment or something like, you know, you intended to do harm to somebody. And that's that makes the crime more bad, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I know I heard it in some Gene Wilder movie and maybe it was like with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I just don't remember what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. I mean, now mens rea is is generally looked down on by libertarians, I would say. Oh, shit, I said the L word. Mens rea is definitely is is, I think, criticized by certain legal theorists or whatever as punishing or policing thoughts as opposed to punishing actual crimes or judging someone on the actions that they did. Because it it really kind of is a kind of thought policing, right? Like, the intention matters. If you had hateful intentions towards somebody, or if you had racist thoughts, or if you planned to kill somebody instead of just killing them because you had a fight and you struggled or something Mm -hmm. and you did it by accident. And then also, like, how do you prove that, right? I mean, you you can add in evidence from things that somebody said, but, like, how do you prove what the person intended or what was going through their mind at the time when they committed a crime. Sure. So wouldn't it be just more simple to judge them only on the action and how much harm they actually did to someone? Like, I th- I think that would be more important to me as a victim of a crime, like to be restituted for the actual harm. Because then you could, you could kind of say the opposite. Like, you know, if someone hits you with a car by accident, I always use this analogy. If someone, if you run someone over with a car by accident, or if you mean to run someone over with a car, the result is the same. You still mm-hmm. did the same amount of harm to them. Oof. Do your thoughts, like if you hated them when you did it, does that hurt them more? No, I don't think hating them makes any difference. I get Now, I guess you could say that in the instance of hate crimes, if you screamed out like, uh, N-word or faggot or something like that, and then you ran someone over who was gay or black then you could say that that's basically a threat to all other people who fit that description. And then you're still out there. So how do you, how do they get protected from you? Ooh, I, oh boy. I don't know. This is a, this is this a is big like a, subject. This is a little bit big for the after show, but yeah. you, you brought it up. So oh, I, I just, it was a jest. <laughs> I, know, I, mean, yeah. I know. I <laughs> know. Now we're talking it. about like, you know, is it murder, you know, premeditation i mean a lot of these different things right but but like even with a hate crime right like if you harm someone and you express a hateful sentiment that could be a threat to other people Mm -hmm. that almost doesn't affect the individual who is harmed so again like we come back to does the intention matter i think it matters very little and i used to be of a different mind on this i used to think that intention um did matter and that it it mattered what your intentions were but now i think it matters very little the only thing that I think we should be focusing on is what harm was done to the victim and how can we get them restitution? But the just the so-called justice system in the United States has little focus on that. It's more about punishment. Mm. It's about punishing the offender. And when you get into punishment, I think then mens rea makes more sense because if you can punish someone for an action, you can also punish them for a thought. A thought is an action, kind of. 
it, it may not affect other people in the same way as a physical right. action does. But it's like, you know, if you're pun- if you're in this punishment modality, then mens rea makes more sense. But if you're just in a in a strict frame of mind when you're thinking about restitution of the harm that was done. Well, right. The restorative justice would be the same. Right. You, restorative you justice. Yeah. Right. That that I agree. Yeah. Uh, Oof, that's a big, big subject. Yeah. All right. Well, my we'll mind. We'll probably get questions about that. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We might get some emails. Well, you know, you can always email us show at sexandsciencehour.com or you can send us an email through our handy dandy contact form on our website, sexandsciencehour.com. In fact, just this week, I did some maintenance on the website. Ah, yeah. oh, nice. Yep. It was very cool. So, um, anyway, my mind is definitely guilty of thinking about sex way too much. Father, forgive me. I have sinned. Um, <laughs> Brian, can we do like a little role play where you're like my priest and I'm confessing to you? Oh, the, like, you know what? I used to do this all the time. Threesomes I had. <laughs> so those that know me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I told you, forgive me, father. I have sinned. Well, hold on. Now. <laughs> I just want to tell a little story about okay. me. So I wear all black, all all the time, literally yep. all black. You, even your pajamas, I can yes. confirm that. Yep, <laughs> when I wear them. Um, and it, like I, <laughs> I always, I used to do this trick at various jobs that I had. When somebody would start telling me some story about something they did or whatever, I would grab either a cloth or like a paper towel or something, and I would kind of tuck it like near my tie so that it looked like I had a, a what do they call that, a habit or whatever on. It's the a, thing that a priest wears. Yeah, the, the so it looked collar. like I had this white little collar. You know, I had the collar, and uh, that's that's probably not the habit. Anyway. um, That's the thing a nun wears as a, as a yeah, habit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, don't mind me. So uh, <laughs> I, I <would laughs> We do don't know these terms. We're and, not yeah, Catholic. And, and people, we, we were raised Janish. What do you want I know, from us? Right? <laughs> and people would just start dying laughing they'd stop telling me their story so i ended up starting doing it just so that they wouldn't tell me anymore you know because <laughs> it, was, it was great it worked so uh yes yeah, so let me put on my little collar here and all right you're we're good to go all right well what the thing that i really want to confess to you is what did people buy on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week that's going to be the confession? Yes, because I think there's some people who should be going to confession, frankly. Right. Well, <laughs> let's let's start off let's start off your penance with uh or repentance, right? <laughs> yeah. With uh, your penitence, is that it? Penitence, yes. Yeah, there we go. Let's start that off with uh get on your knees. Okay. We're going to um, need one of these items for that. Oh, okay. All right. Because uh, somebody bought a M Smart TM genuine suede leather flogger. With Whoa. braided handle. <laughs> so that's going to definitely have to be used to absolve me of my sins, right? Whole priory of Scion. Hello. <laughs> Holy it's shit. It's purple. It's a cute little flogger, I guess. Um, you know, and these leather, these suede leather ones, they have a certain texture. It can feel like, you know, if you put it on your skin softly, it feels kind of like fingers or whatever. But if you do it harder, it can kind of sting, you know. My, my. my All right. My, Somebody's my. into... Um... Somebody's into self-flagellation or flagellation of another person or people. You know, you can never guess the ones that it would break one of these things out. No, you, know, you never there's, know. There's no way we know who did who bought this. No. Yeah, and th- th- this is a little bit kinky, but you know, I think this like this kind of kink is is pretty mainstream, I guess, sure. at this point. Sure. A flogger is not too Flogging, not too spanking. kinky. Yeah, I mean like spanking, you don't necessarily need any equipment. You just use your hand. Right. I suppose. Right. Um, so that's like pretty mainstream as well. But when you start buying toys for it, then maybe you're getting a little bit more into kink territory. <laughs> <Hey>. But uh <laughs> Whatever uh rocks your boat. Yep, whatever rocks your boat. So okay, now we're we're into the stuff. 
But um, I just want to explain that we fund our show and um, we create the content for the after show by looking at um, our Amazon affiliate link, which you can find at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And then we see what people bought. We can see what was purchased, but we can't see who bought it. And uh, then we talk about it and we speculate about it. And it's really fun. Like yeah. when people buy floggers and sex toys, which yeah. we've got some sex toys in here too. So. Fun people, I'll tell you. Yeah, our listeners are a great crowd. I'll Beautiful lie, people too. I have to say. <laughs> so, okay, so what did people buy on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? Oh, and by the way, f- sorry. Before we get into the stuff, I just have to say, I am really proud of how well we're doing with this. It's mm. it's catching on. We've been doing the show for, eh, well, we did one season that was like six months, right? And now we're on like episode 14 or something of, of season three. Um, I don't know. I lost track. But we're like in the midway through section uh, season three of the show. Okay. Yep. And so we've been doing it for, you know, not even a year. And it's it's catching on to the point where, you know, I'm happy with it. I, I think like, you know, ideally, we'd still have more to go before we're funding these like listener parties that we really wanted to do. Yeah. But yeah. I'm super happy with the amount of people who are going to our link. And we always have content for our after show. And we get a little bit of money, which is great. And that was our goal. For doing this. So I think we're accomplishing, we're well on our, on the road to accomplishing our objectives. I think, I think at some point maybe we should like kind of uh, subvert a type of conference perhaps in our home geographic area and, you know, have like a little sex and science hour conference. I think that'd be fun. Ooh, yeah, I think that would be fun. Um, step one to that was, would be probably our listener Facebook group, which I I've created and I mentioned on a previous show, but nobody really emailed me to express interest in it. So I don't know if it's something people really want to do. Yeah. But um, well, I don't that's know. a good way. Let's gauge interest through that. Yeah, we should then gauge we'll interest see through that. Whether yeah. or not they want to. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for believing in us and for using our, our affiliate link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yes. We thank you so much. We appreciate you. Okay. So what did people, what did people buy this week? Starting off with the, that the health and beauty department. We Is had that a, where the flogger came out of? <laughs> no, the flogger was down the list on the, what, what department was the flogger? And it was from, oh my God, it was from the pet supplies department (laughs) i guess somebody's wearing a collar what the fuck why would you flog your pet that is oh my god that's kinky in itself right unless the person is your pet wow holy shit (laughs) i was not expecting that okay so in the beauty department we had some facial care stuff we had dhc deep cleansing oil 6.7 fluid ounces this is like some stuff you put on your face and it it dissolves so a little chemistry lesson here, like dissolves like, right? So if yep. you want to clean oil off your face or oil-based makeup, like waterproof makeup, waterproof mascara or whatever, you use an oil-based cleanser. Okay. But then you have to have some emulsifier so you don't end up with like oil all over your face because then when you try to rinse it off with water, then what are you going to do? So I'm writing this down. Okay. Okay, good. Because, you know, you need it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, your face is so beautiful. Thank your you. skin is so beautiful. I have beautiful. a face for radio. Thank you. <laughs> um, so anyway, this is like an oil-based cleanser to get that deep shit that's in your pores and <laughs> in your face cleaned wow. out. Flogging <laughs> shit in your pores. <laughs> you kinkier by the second. <laughs> we also have the First Aid Beauty Face Cleanser, five ounces. What is so special about this? Well, um, I don't know. It says it has antioxidants. Um, it's called... Fab First Aid Beauty Pure Skin Face Cleanser. I don't know. I guess it's a... 
See, I don't know much about this world. I have very sensitive skin, so mm-hmm. I just wash my face like with water in the shower, and that's pretty much all I can do. Yeah, like or else it it will get um like too dried out if mm. I use any kind of soap on it. So, I, people think it's weird that I don't really wash my face with soap, but. I don't know. Get over it. That's just my skin and how it works. So. <laughs> but this person is washing their face, is has different skin than I do. So more power to you, girl or guy or whoever you are, um, or non-binary individual. Uh, we also had Thayer's Alcohol-Free Rose Petal Witch Hazel with aloe vera, 12 ounces. Now, this is cool. It looks like one of those old-timey packages where it has the picture of a portrait of the dude who, I guess, maybe formulated it on the front. Remember we did that article about the woman who put her face, Lily the Pink? Oh, yeah, yeah, L- Lydia yeah. Pinkham, she put her face on the uh, product that she was selling, the be- vegetable concoction. Yeah. And she got, like, trolled in the 1800s. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So this dude did the same thing, but he apparently didn't get trolled. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, it's called Thayer's. And it's witch hazel. And what does witch hazel do? Well, it's it's basically a, I don't know, tinctures of some kind of a, of a plant mm-hmm. that's an astringent. And so it breaks down oily skin. Again, you'd like dip it in a cotton ball, dip a cotton ball in it and uh, use it to wipe off your face. And it cleans out your pores and it makes it all shiny and tight. And um, yeah, yeah, I use witch hazel here and there. What Keep, do you use it for? Just Zits? on the face. Yeah, whatever. You know? I didn't know that. Are you like sneaking off to the bathroom and putting it? That's why your face looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> You're do doing have... a secret skin treatment. I keep witch hazel in the bathroom. You're welcome to use it. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I don't know. I think it Not would that I think probably you need it. dry out my face. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but that's pretty cool. So let us know if you want to do a review of any of these. You could send in a video of your, you know, I'm picturing like someone with their, with their hair like clipped back and like kind of scrubbing their face. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, so we had two books in the um, in the books department, and they're two related books, and they're from the Thug Kitchen series. Thug Kitchen. Yep, Thug Kitchen. The first one is Thug Kitchen One Hundred and One, Fast as Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one is Thug Kitchen Party Grub for Social Motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I. I- Oh boy! All right. I don't know what to say, but yeah, it's, I, I know. it sounds really cool. I'll just say it, and that's there. We go. All right, we, we <laughs> announce them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, th- I was reading about these books, and it says there. I guess the there's a New York Times bestselling cookbook series, and it's Thug Kitchen. Um, in Thug Kitchen 101, they have more than a hundred recipes that will that you can learn how to make at home and it says thug kitchen holds your hand and explains ingredients from chickpeas to nooch so you'll feel what is nooch i don't know i don't know either so yeah i guess we have to read the book so you'll feel confident knowing exactly what the fuck you're cooking (laughs) this kid kick-ass kitchen primer also serves up health benefits and nutrition to remind everyone from clueless newbies to health nuts how a plant-based lifestyle benefits our bodies minds environment and pocketbooks that's right eat green save green now this looks. Oh, it, is this a vegetarian cookbook? I wonder. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about the use of the word thug. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vegetarian and thug don't exactly seem to go together. Right. But, oh. Um. And then from the party grub book, it says Thug Kitchen Party Grub answers the question that you that that they have heard from most of their fans. How the hell are you supposed to eat healthy when you hang around with a bunch of assholes who couldn't care less about what kind of stuff they put in their face? <laughs> 
The answer, you make a bomb-ass plant-based dish from Thug Kitchen, featuring over 100 recipes for every occasion. Party Grub combines exciting healthy food with easy-to-follow directions and damn entertaining commentary. With appetizers like deviled chickpea bites to main events like Mexican lasagna, Thug Kitchen Party Grub is here to make sure you're equipped with dishes to bring the flavor without a side of fat, calories, and guilt. Also included are cocktail recipes. Now, this sounds like it's a vegetarian cookbook. That's very interesting. Totally sounds vegetarian, yeah. Very interesting. So give us a book review. Let me uh, let me know how yeah. it goes. I mean, chickpea bites, yeah, that's de- nobody uses chickpeas unless they're in like a chili Mm. They don't. They don't make chi- something called chickpea bites unless they're vegetarian. Usually, okay. <laughs> I get that vegetarian vibe from it. So, and and they say plant based. They don't use the word vegetarian, but it's <laughs> it is vegetarian basically. So, interesting. Um, give us a review. Let us know how you like it. Um, in the clothing department, we had Hanes women's X temp V neck T shirts. It was a pa- looks like a pack. Uh, oh no! Just one T-shirt, black, size small, right color. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Uh, nice. Brian approved from the fashion uh, yeah, choices all the way. Ooh. In the shoes department, we had Skechers men's superior Milford slip-on loafers. Now these look a lot like the shoes that Brian wears all yeah, the time. Yeah, it's a good-looking shoe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you should you should check this out, Brian. Um, these ones were a fifty-dollar price point, and they have different colors. They have you know brown, black. There's blue. no other colors. <laughs> This one appears to have been black that was purchased. <laughs> Good on so, you. And it's a well, I won't say the size. I don't I don't want to do any personal information, but they have a variety of sizes and colors, of course. So, um in the health and personal care department, everybody needs toilet paper, right? Why not buy it through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com? They got Scott 1000 sheets per roll toilet paper, 20 a pack of 27 rolls. And they also Amazon has these things where you can clip a coupon now, I don't know why they do this, except maybe so that, like, some people will click on it because they're like, ooh, a coupon, I can mm-hmm. save money. But then they forget to click on it, so they didn't actually clip the coupon, so they're nah. not getting a discount. But they have this coupon you can clip for $1 off, and it's seventeen ninety eight. so you, I guess it would go down to sixteen ninety eight or something. Um, but, you know, I... I actually subscribe and save on Amazon. I have a subscription to toilet paper and paper towels, Mm -hmm. so I never run out. And we kind of have a stockpile of them in the basement. (laughs) It's a stockpile. Because, you know, if if the shit hits the fan, pardon, I mean, part, I guess that pun is not exactly appropriate. (laughs) But if the zombie apocalypse happens or something, or if something goes really wrong and there's shortages at the grocery stores, right? You want to have toilet paper. That's a very useful item. That's yeah. a pepper thing, right? Uh, well, I I don't know. No, I'm not. I would tin, think so. I'm not a tinfoil hat, yeah, kind of girl. But you know, no, it's, I'll be it's the first to, to have say, toilet paper. Yeah, I mean, you know, Scott's stock is never going to go down. I mean, shit. <laughs> most people people suddenly, are going to keep shitting. That's, that's right. One thing that's consistent in this world. So somebody bought this Scott bath tissue. I think the kind I use is Angel Soft, but that's a little bit too much information. So I'm just gonna yeah yeah. Oh, and they did pay sixteen ninety eight for it, so they did clip the coupon. So good on, congratulations, good job. congratulations. You screwed Amazon, or you <laughs> you didn't let Amazon screw you. <laughs> in the kitchen department, we had a kitchen timer. So, so it's called the CDNTM8 Multitask Digital Timer and Clock Loud and Long Alarm. 
Fantastic. It doesn't look like it connects to the internet, so that's a win. Yes, it looks like an analog device. Well, it's, I mean, it's digital, but it's, it's not like one of those dials you turn and then it goes. Yeah, right. It's it's not one of those. It's a digital one, and it's pretty small. But um, it's good to have one of these when you're cooking something and you just want to forget about it until you need to be reminded that, hey, it's time to check on your whatever. You know, I, I could have used one of these the other day. I did something so stupid. I was, I was cooking a head of cauliflower. I was roasting oh, yeah. it. And I was so excited to eat it. So excited to eat it. Put it in. Put it in the oven. Wasn't quite done yet. I was like, okay, I'll eat the rest of my dinner before it's done. And then I ate the rest of my dinner and I was like, oh shit, something's burning. I smelled something burning. And then I remembered the cauliflower and I had totally burned it to a crisp. Yeah. I was very disappointed. Gonna have to get one of those timers. Yep. Adding to my cart right now. We have the Espresso Supply 58 millimeter black back flush insert. So I guess this is a thing for your espresso machine. Yeah, okay. That's nice. It says cleaning essential. Place into portafilter to backflush machine. Okay. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's cool. Uh, and then we have the Puck Style Espresso Tamper Black by Speedwell Coffee. It says achieve a level coffee bed with every tamp. Heavy duty construction. High quality materials. Ensure accurate tamp pressure and durability. So it's showing like almost like this pipe being loaded with coffee and then you tamp it down with this device that was purchased and it looks like they're sold out. So it must be, hmm. must be popular. Nice. I don't know anything about, do you know anything about making espresso? No, no I don't either. So, okay. Well, cool. Enjoy your, <laughs> enjoy your coffee. Oh, by the way, that timer that was purchased, it wasn't just one. It was four of them that somebody got. Hey, all right. <laughs> and the uh, espresso backflush insert, it was actually three of those that was purchased. Yeah. Yep. So maybe someone's uh, bulk cooking for their little coffee shop or something. All right. A couple more things. In the office products department, we had the Dymo Label Writer 450 Turbo Thermal Label Printer by Dymo. And this is a $62 device, but you can it's basically a little thing that prints out labels and then you can stick on a label to something and be super organized. Like and it's very small. It's it's almost the size of like a oh what what would you say the size of it? I it's the size of a a koosh ball. A koosh. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good example. It's smaller <laughs> than a it's larger than a baseball, but it's smaller than like a basketball well, or a soccer good. ball. It's smaller than a football. So anyway, you figure out how big it is, but it's small enough to put on your desk and not take up very much space and you can print labels. I nice. should, I should get that for my kombucha. That would be helpful for kombucha oh, yeah, labeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just don't get thermal, you know, labels oh. wet because oh, no. like, it all disappears. Yeah. It's not like ink where it kind of sits. And don't print your Bitcoin addresses on it because it can fade over time unless you yep. laminate it. If you laminate it, it will prevent it from fading as I understand it. Yeah. And then um, we already did the flogger. That was like the kind of the holy grail. Woo. I should have probably saved that for last. But it was too good not to when you were doing yeah, that Open it up with scene. a bang, I say. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to do some bondage, I guess you could use this. It's the Cosmos Black uh, Soft and Durable Cotton Yoga and Pilates mat harness. So this is like a mat strap. Like you roll up your yoga mat into a cylinder, right? Oh, okay. You roll it into like a little burrito roll. And then you put the strap around the ends of it and then you can pick it up and carry it by like a handle. I think yoga mats are just such wonderful, versatile things, you know? Hell yeah. You, you never know when you're just in the woods and... 
Oh, yeah. Well, know, the sleeping bags can come in handy, too. Well, that's true. For sure. Yeah. Oh, well, this could be a... This could be... This could kind of go either way. Our, our last item here... Um, Yep, this is the last item from the Sports and Outdoors Department, okay, which may or may not give a clue. This is our this could go either way, Brian. So, tell me what you think. <laughs> okay. It is a international equestrian jump bat. So, basically, this is a riding crop. Oh. Now, I can't tell if this is <laughs> meant to be used on a horse or a human. Well, a horse or a horse. I mean, oh yeah, oh you know, or hey, a yeah. horse. Oh yes, <laughs> you know, that's right. <laughs> not to say that riding crops have really been used on the Golden Stallion, but <laughs> well, um, I guess you are the Golden Stallion, so you might have some experience with oh, this. I wasn't going to say it, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> now it is marketed as totally a horse thing, like no kink implied or explicitly stated at all in the product description on Amazon. It was only $10, which is less than I would expect to pay for a riding crop in a BDSM context. I would expect to pay like more for a nice like leather leather, crop. Yeah, at least a hundred bucks. Yeah, that was a kinky one. I would say that, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, but, at least so smack maybe, the ass with class. I mean, it's... Smack or, the ass well, no, with... I, I'm sure this is fine. <laughs> I'm not I'm not ripping on it. No, I mean, I bet it's like the same exact item. It's just marketed differently. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, and so they, they're they a frugal kinkster, or there's someone who likes to ride horses. I can't tell. And we'll yeah. never know unless they fill us in. So They're probably Janish themselves, I mean, just a guess. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, you can't. You really can't assume that. Hey. <laughs> so thank you so much for shopping at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yeah. You got to learn about Guilty Minds and all kind of BDSM toys tonight. Hope you all are having a fun night with all the stuff you got at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Send us listener email. Uh SucksandScienceHour.com is our website. Share our shows, follow us on Twitter, and you can get all kinds of debauchery for free every week. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. 